Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, today's guest is Reese Roper, lead vocalist for Denver, Colorado ska punkers, Five Iron Frenzy. I've known Reese for over 25 years and it was great catching up with him. Together we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their fan favorite single, Zen and the Art of Xenophobia, taken from their 2013 album, Engine of a Million Plots. I mentioned to Reese that I had not heard a recording from the band since their late 90s, early 2000s input. And to say I was impressed by this track is an understatement. Five Iron Frenzy has always been known as a Christian band, and the lyrics in the track, which explore themes of Christian hypocrisy and fundamentalism, are pretty vicious and to the point. Something that's been a bit polarizing to some of their fan base, but Reese felt they needed to be addressed. Bassist Scott Kerr wrote the music for the track along with trombonist Dennis Culp, and producer Jeremy S.H. Griffith brought it all together in the studio. The song sounds amazing. And Reese and I took a trip down memory lane and reminisced about touring together on the Sky Against Racism tour back a quarter century ago. What a time to be alive. For all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. What's up, Reese? It's been a minute. Seriously, I'm so like I'm really nervous about this. Because, nervous? Yeah. Come on. I've been listening to your podcasts. Like I've almost completed everything. Just oh, this man. little OCD where I go through the whole thing. But it was like, hey, guys, I know from bands, Less and Jake, and and <laughs> other bands that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then <laughs> Huey Lewis, and you know, like. Michael Sweet from Striper. I'm lumping you into good company, right? Dude, I don't belong in this company. <laughs> well, you do. You do. I've I've known you, my gosh, going on 30 years. You know, five, crazy, Iron, five Iron Frenzy formed in 1995 in Denver. And Den uh -huh. Denver was one of those places, you can attest to this, it was kind of like Southern California, Chicago, New York, Jersey, and Denver. Those were the, the ska hot spots. I mean, and we came out there. I still have the flyer. Matter of fact, the flyer made it into my book that I released uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it's from the Mercury Cafe that we played with you guys in 1996. Yeah. That was our first meeting. Dude, when we played, it was, we were all super fanboys because we all loved your band. And it was cathartic for us it was i've been thinking about this for a while since you asked me to, to come on and just how formative playing with less and jake was for fiverr in the fact that like we we had played in other bands you know four of us were in a band that kind of birthed five iron and it was a metal band and so everybody was just like we were in this scene where like we were a Christian metal band and everybody was cocky despite the fact that they were Christians. And so <laughs> we were like, yeah, this isn't us. You know, like we we're goofy. Let's play music. We like, which ended up being ska. And then we played with you guys and saw how you treated your fans and just how you treated the opening bands and how you were to each other, to everyone. Just it blew our minds just how kind you were and how thoughtful 
changed us. Oh, man, you're, you're getting me all warm and fuzzy here, Reese. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that because we we tried to be all inclusive, you know, like um, I remember hearing and it was almost like within the punk community, which was supposed to be uh, all in, you know, all inclusive, like, you know, anything goes. It's where we're the freaks and everyone meet to uh uh, to be one. And, uh, there was a lot of closed minded people. I remember hearing that, uh, Oh, they're, they're a Christian band. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, I was just backstage making, you know, armpit fart noises with Reese and we were hanging out and laughing and joking. And, you know, we never really thought about that kind of stuff. And, and for me growing up, uh, I listened to everything from, from Slayer to Striper and everything in between. Yeah. So hearing a band was Christian, it, it, it didn't really, uh, you know, but it, it, it was looked upon and you can, I'm sure you can attest to this. Uh, it was, it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I've talked to Mike Herrera about this before. Uh, you know, they had a, a lot of Christian leanings early on as a band and, uh, mm-hmm. it, it can be great. You can have this huge Christian fan base that some of those folks are closed minded and might not give a band like less than Jake a chance. I've seen that too, but you, you guys were just, a, a, another band that, that we rolled with and, and we, we loved you from day one. Yeah. Very closed minded. I think, uh, like MXPX was good in the fact that they were able to break away from that. Whereas I think we weren't smart enough to do that. You know, it was somewhat lucrative to stay in just the Christian industry. You could play churches and and make so much more than you would make playing clubs and, you know, cushy, you know, some, some grandma is making dinner for you, you know, for the whole band and, and, you know, they're bringing it to the shows and everybody's nice to you. And, and uh, you know, that you stay at a hotel, you each get a, a bed, which didn't happen, you know, to a lot of, yeah. a lot of bands we toured with. And so we tried to split the fence, you know, like just try to be in, in the middle where we'd play club shows and then go play the Christian shows and churches, which sucked, you know, like the sound was always bad. You always felt like people were there because it kind of made them feel safe mm-hmm. where they, they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't coming see us open for you guys down at the, you know, Mammoth Event Center or something. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, like, I think MXPX, and this is funny. I remember having a conversation with Mike and Tom at the Mercury Cafe. It was another one of those shows that that guy, Dan Steinberg, that brought you guys to yep. play with us a mm-hmm. bunch. So he put on a show with this band called Tonut Headlining, and then it was us and MXPX. And I'm sure we were at the bottom. But MXPX, I remember them pulling us aside and being like, hey, do you guys do this a lot? Do you play with secular bands? And we're like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> and, they, and then it was like they ran with that. They were just like, we got to get off our label and <laughs> start doing this. That was cool for them. Yeah, no, and, and I've talked to bands in, in the Christian scene. They, they've echoed everything that you said. I mean, you get to play places that uh, other bands wouldn't play, as you're talking about. You have the the uh, little old lady making you a nice meal backstage. And uh, I guess yeah. one allure about that is, is is way less drunk, obnoxious people at those shows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that now. It's, I don't know if we we had it that bad even back in the day, but like now everybody's got kids, you know, they're not getting too drunk. They've got to go home and pay the babysitter, (laughs) you know, the people that are coming to the shows. Well, fast forward a a quick two years after we first played with you, uh, found ourselves uh, less than two years, found ourselves on the Sky Against Racism tour in spring of 98, April of 1998. And that was, of course, with Less Than Jake, The Toasters, Five Iron Frenzy, Blue Meanies, Mustard Plug, Kamuri, MU330, and Mike Park. And man, what yeah. what a time, right? Best tour I've ever been on. It was so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, Sky was blowing up in 97, mm-hmm. 98. It was just the time. Uh, and we, we, we took a, a good section of, of the bands that were, were doing well and, and went out on the road together. And I, again, I just remember... If someone were to ask me about that time period, what's the one thing that stands? I just remember laughing all the time. I, I just had a, I, I probably had a smile on my face the whole time we we did that run. It was so fun, and you you guys were huge. You know, you headlined it. You had just signed your deal with Capital, and I think Losing Streak was maybe out or had just come out. Yeah, Losing Streak was out. We we weren't recording Hello Rock View till at right after Sky Against Racism, May of '98. We went into pre-production for that record. Yeah, it was so cool, man. It was, like all the bands. Well, something that I've always enjoyed about your band is that 
yes, you were in the Christian music community, but you never looked down on people, uh, and you certainly called out Christians for hypocrisy, fundamentalism, uh, injustices done to Native Americans, faith-based criticisms of capitalism, consumerism, nationalism, racism. And, and the song we're going to talk about today, uh, Zen and the Art of, is it xenophobia or xenophobia? <laughs> I think that, That's the big question. People usually pronounce it xenophobia, but I've heard it pronounced xenophobia. And for the sake of this song, I was like, we're going to do it this way. Remember, uh, they used to call magazines uh, zines back in the day. Uh-huh. So this could have yeah. been this could have been zine and the art of xenophobia. But uh, yes, yeah, we're going to we're going to say xenophobia because uh, could have been. That's how that's, that's how you sing it. But but this song in particular, what kind of reaction did you get from your fan base when you re- released a song like this? Uh, so part of it was we officially broke up in 2003. This is what's crazy about Five Iron is that there were basically in the Christian market, there were two other big ska bands, the insiders and the supertones. And those guys, they had managers, they, they had bigger record labels behind them. They would charge more for shows. Whereas we came up, you know, like from, from the punk scene in Denver and we were like, we want to vote on it. If any show is going to cost, this is from you guys, by the way, like the, this kind of compassion and just having like these scruples about treating our fans right. We got from you guys. Well, thank you. But like, we just were like, Hey, we can't charge more than 10 bucks for a, uh, you know, for a show. And we had signed with this just teeny label that got us, you know, they, they were out of Concord, California, but they got us distribution on Warner and then later EMI. Okay. So we had, good distribution and these dudes you know like they they were just like very upfront about like the simplicity of christianity that you know like if if god is real you should just be able to talk to him and all he requires is that you love him and love others so do that you know it was called five minute walk and we're like yeah we we can get behind that like that is the gist of of the gospel so we did that and then these guys always had tours where we had to collect something. We would collect clothes for the homeless or cans of soup, et cetera, and give them to homeless shelters. Like we'd build a tour around that. And then, you know, then guys in the band started getting married and we had a small salary. It was $1,156 and 66 cents. So after taxes, before taxes, it was 18,000 a year. After taxes, you know, that's just it, probably about 13,000 a year. And you still, we still would somehow end up owing. <laughs> but, you know, like you'd, you'd go on tour, you'd be gone like nine months of the year. And these dudes that were getting married, their wives are like, you're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. So we, we kind of saw that ending and just said, okay, let's, let's break up before we hate each other or we're replacing members. Well, yeah. That hiatus was around 2003, and then you reunited in, in 2011. Uh, you launched a Kickstarter, which did yes. did really, really well. And then yeah. uh, the album, Engine of a Million Plots, which Zen and the Art of Xenophobia is, uh, is on, that was released in November of 2013. So uh, right. by, by that point, you, you kind of, uh, um, maybe people's marriages has kind of settled in. You, you've grown up a little bit, and you're trying to figure out what the next uh, phase of the band is. Yeah. Well, and, and we had like not really decided to tour at that point. We just, we, we made the album got back together by mistake. You know, the, the guy that we had given the license, just some fan to run our website was going to rebuild it. And so he, he started a countdown and we had just come out with a DVD that I put together was like, it's, it's hard to watch. It's like three hours long, but Mike Park put it out on Asian man. And for the listeners, uh, if you want, if you want to check that out, it's called the rise and fall of five iron frenzy that, uh, that you're speaking of. Yeah. It should be the fall and fall of, five frenzy, <laughs> well, so let's, <laughs> let's talk about this song. Okay. Was, was this something written specifically for the record engine of a million plots? Did you have this uh, held over from the early days or was this written fresh? No, it was written fresh and Scott and I are still, so Scott was originally 
you know, the guitar player and main songwriter when we toured with you guys. Who plays bass now. Yeah. Yeah. So he came back and he is taking Keith's place, but he still writes most of the stuff. I noticed that the trombonist Dennis Culp is also credited on this track. Yeah. I don't know if he wrote more than the horn lines. I think he probably tweaked with the the bridge on it. So do you remember when, when Scott brought the riff or the, the actual song to you? And were you guys demoing by this point? Did you have kind of home studio setups? Yeah, so Scott and I have pretty intense home studios. Scott, he he recorded most of our last album at his home studio. So he would, I don't want to say this in a negative way. This is one of the things I love about Scott, but it's, it can be frustrating. He's very controlling. So he he wants to finish the song and hand it to you and you do it. So in that hiatus where he had quit the band and we had broken up, he had done a couple other projects and realized what was missing. You know, they'd play shows and no one would come or or they'd be very poorly attended. And he was like, what's missing is this, Reese singing or Reese's lyrics or the character of the other people or horns or, you know, like whatever Five Iron was bringing, he missed. So Man, you know, hardworking blue collar punk rock bands. It's like we're a sum of our parts. I, I've never been confused about that. You know, I, I know I'm a good songwriter and, and, and uh, a performer, but without my band, <laughs> I've gone out and played solo yeah. shows, man. It's like it's it's very, very difficult. You know, I've always it's marveled not the at, same. No, I've marveled at those people that can go outside of their bands and become even bigger. Uh, something special with that. Yeah. So he yeah, at the beginning and we've we've kind of adapted this over time. You know, we just put out a new album and, and it's gotten better. But like at the beginning of, of that album writing, he would just hand me songs and he'd be like, yeah, you could change the words if you want. And he writes really abstract lyrics. Sometimes they're just placeholder lyrics. So I basically took what he had written and I'll send it to you. Um, it was called, if you say so. You have the demo? I'll send it to you. Oh, we'd love to hear it. That'd be great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's basically him singing his lyrics over it with fake horns and fake drums and him playing all the other parts. And real quick, before we get into the song, Reese, um, it was produced, uh, Scott uh, produced it along with Jeremy S.H. Griffith, which uh, I was unfamiliar with him. I looked up his discography. He's produced everyone from Norma Jean to Anthony Green, a bunch of pop stuff. How did you get hooked up with him and where did he come in the process? This is crazy. So Jeremy's a ninja, man. So in the off time, when when we tried to become, you know, gainfully employed so that our wives would love us. More, adults. Um, yeah, we became adults. <laughs> We're living out of a van anymore and eating, <laughs> driving through McDonald's drive through three times a day. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I still do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Dennis, he, like towards the tail end of, of Fire, and he got in with these dudes that one of the guys was in like a kind of like this alt rock rap band that was on our label and um they started a company he and and another guy started this company that makes music for commercials it's called singing serpent they've done really well and then dennis is he married a girl from from jersey and she was like hey i want to move back there so he talked these dudes into starting a new york office so it's it's like in soho Dude, this this studio that they were renting out, it was where like Bob Dylan recorded freaking, uh, gosh, Amy Winehouse recorded her last album there. Uh, the Rolling Stones, there's like pictures of them doing drugs on the roof. Well, this, 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 this record sounds awesome. I mean, initially, oh, yeah. initially when I told you we want to talk about this song, you're like, well, we got a new record out and, and it, 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 sound, it sounds better. And, and of course, as performers, you're, you know, your newest stuff is what you're excited about. And yeah, maybe sonically you think it sounds better, <laughs> but this record sonic, this, this song sonically rips, man. I was, Thanks, I, man. I hadn't heard the song and, uh, 
uh, my producer Chris had said this is the one we should do and I checked it out and you know the last recordings I had heard from your band were back in the day and this is just leaps, yeah. leaps and bounds being leaps and bounds un- it's like a different I couldn't believe how heavy it was it was great yeah now Jeremy is so good yeah I totally when you you were like do this one and I was like does it matter? We don't have any hits. <laughs> like, well, I, I, I would. Ar- what song do you pick? <laughs> I would I would argue that this is definitely a fan favorite of your band. I looked at the comments uh, on YouTube. Oh, They're man. amazing. The uh, people, your fans love this song. And, and I want to get into the song now. It's three minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, the first two seconds are are this soothing, almost violin sounding volume swells on the guitar. It's mm-hmm. kind of panned right and left. Then the drums and bass kick in at the three-second mark. That feedback is still present. And then there's eight bars of that, followed by eight more bars of the drums, bass, and guitar. The guitar's doing kind of like this cool surf rock type uh, uh, riff, and then the horns are there. Uh, before we get into uh, verse number one, the bass tone here is ripping. It sounds so good. Up to this point, was that how the song was presented to you by Scott, that that whole intro? Yeah. I think like Jeremy was pretty hands-off about most stuff, except he used to be a singer, so he would be very good at layering harmonies and stuff on there. So like on the on the bridge, a lot of that is Jeremy, but mostly he just took what Scott gave him and made it sound better because he's amazing at mixing. Well, that's another interesting thing about this song. There's a lot of backup harmony stuff, oohs and ahs that we're going to get into, mm-hmm. but there's no real harmonies on the lead vocal. I found that really interesting because they're all over <laughs> the place and they sound... No, it's, it's cool, though. I think that if they would have been on the lead vocals, it would have taken away from the layering of what you were doing in those other sections. I want to climb into verse one now. Before I read these, you know, I think this whole thing before the chorus is a verse, but halfway through, I'm calling it a pre-chorus. Would you agree with that? Um, yes. Okay. The melody, the melody changes. The lyrics aren't the same on pre-chorus two, but uh, the melody changes and the whole feel of the music and the band changes on that part. So, okay. So I'm just going to read up to what I'm calling verse one. Cling to your God and guns. The banjos playing hot cross buns. Bucket seats set to recline. No need to cross the county line. What are you saying there? Well, so this is uh, this is my first. I don't know if it's my first foray, but I started being a little more heavy-handed on my critique of Christianity of the, of the evangelical church and just their behavior. So that was what was on my mind at the point when I was writing it, I just had moved to Virginia. My ex is from here. And so we moved out here to be closer to her uh, family. And so um, if someone were to hand me these lyrics and tell, tell me it's a new propaganda song, I would have believed them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, it, it, thank does, you. it doesn't sound like it comes from a, a, a Christian band. Man, that makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just, I mean, there was some, some kickback from guys in the band but mostly it was just like, okay, we'll let Reese say something. And this sounds political, but it shouldn't be, you know, it's just like, it's talking about fear mongering and how it shouldn't be a thing, but like Christianity is all about that right now. Mm -hmm. So the line cling to your God and guns came from a quote from Barack Obama when he was running for president, he was talking about people in middle America and how they cling to their God and guns instead of rationality. And, and I was like, this is a good line to start this with, okay. you know, really ruffle some feathers. I don't think people really got that. It was a Barack Obama quote, but I don't know if I've ever seen a lyric of anybody that's used hot cross buns. Uh, that was, a, that, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's impressive. 
<laughs> my, little, my little dig at the south yeah. like, of banjos playing hot cross buns. It made, it, it made something simple. It made me giggle. Well, on this verse one, the drums and bass are holding down the rhythm uh, with the mm-hmm. bass playing these eighth notes, uh, and the guitar is playing the eighth, eighth notes along with it uh, and kind of meandering off in, in, in sections. Uh, and then we get into pre-chorus one, and uh, the drums go to a kick, snare, and floor tom beat. Kind of breaks down here for the pre-chorus, uh, but it gets heavy. The guitar goes to a new single note rhythm that's panned off right and uh i believe it's a chorusy like guitar f- effect off left but it almost sounds like horn swells is that just guitars i don't remember so i we segmented the recording of it. And I think like Dennis would go back in afterwards and tweak with it. Okay. Cause it's funny pre-chorus too, which we'll get to in a little bit. It definitely sounds like a guitar there. There's no ambiguity with me thinking it's horns there, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Could be. Well, uh, I'm going to read these lyrics and have you uh, talk about these. Uh, this is pre-chorus one. Are the Arabs closing ranks about to roll some Russian tanks, shut the doors and save the kids lock and load just like Jesus did. <laughs> so, so at the time, this fear-mongering was continuing, and I think it was before the Russians invaded Chechnya. So there was no real reason to be talking about the Russians and how powerful they were and how scary they were. Now, I'm a little bit embarrassed about this lyric just because I, I think they're, you know, what they're doing in in. Ukraine is terrifying, but just this kind of, you know, xenophobia or xenophobia, however you want to say it, (laughs) that is inherent in America, but like, especially in Christianity and does not belong in a culture that should be about love and not fear. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of pointing, pointing that out. Hey, everybody. We got a lot more with Five Iron Frenzy's Reese Roper after a few words from our sponsors. So don't go anywhere. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. What's up, everybody? I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got the podcast for you. It's called Drinks with Johnny, where I sit down with some of my contemporaries in the music industry, like Robert Trujillo of Metallica, Shavo Dijian of System of a Down, so many more punk rock legends like Fat Mike and Jay Bentley, and all their people of all different walks of life. I get to sit down and give you perspective and an inside look into their lives. So go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere you get your podcasts right now. now back to the show the drums like i said here go to that breakdown part and i just i just love how everything kind of uh changes feel here before we get into chorus one and this is when everything just lifts the big stereo distorted guitars playing chords come in here uh there's no harmony on the main vocals but there are these ooh ooh ah ooh (laughs) ooh ooh, almost like a it's like a monkey uh ooh ooh vocal backing vocals with harmonies Mm -hmm. happening underneath the lead vocal it's it's kind of eerie sounding almost it's really cool sounding and there's horn pads filling out the rest uh uh, back they're kind of pan back in the mix United States of amnesia. Make us numb, make it dumb, 
anesthesia. Cut the cord, close the door, we don't know ya. It's the zen and the art of xenophobia. And on xenophobia, there's a great drum fill that takes us back into the reintro. It's such, such, a, <laughs> such a cool little fill. But uh, what, what, are you, what are you saying here, Reese? I heard this on like an op, op-ed piece on NPR. This guy was talking about how, how apt we are as Americans to forget the past. And it just, it, it was about how we're treating immigrants and, and the fact that we're a nation of immigrants and that we're xenophobic. So I was like, man, I got to steal that. I've, I've got like a going list in my phone or it'll be on my computer. It used to be a notebook that I just call lightning. And I just open this thing up. If I hear something, a word or a phrase that I want to go in a song or that can inspire me, I'll just throw that in there. And I remember that, you know, little piece from this guy's op-ed where he said the United States of amnesia. So it was right before then, right before 2013. And do you recall if you had demoed this song with these lyrics or, or were you still finishing up uh, the lyrics when you were in the studio cutting the track? There's always a little bit of tweaking mm-hmm. with me while you're cutting, but we're getting better at demoing stuff, like getting it nailed down. So you're not in the studio. Just like, I think this should be this because it wastes money, you know, and it, and it's also you end up getting, you know, not what you want. If you can make it sound as good as you can on a demo and then try and cut that. So we did. I think we demoed it almost perfectly. And for the listeners, I think uh, I, I can speak for you, Reese, what you're saying here. And I've had this happen. I've, I've sung something on a demo for six months and maybe even played the song live or in rehearsal. And then finally, I'm up in front of the mic and and Roger or someone in the control room will be like, uh, hey, you should change that note on that or, or change that <sighs> word there. I'm like, why? I've been singing like that for six months. And it's just like, no, it, it would rhyme better or be better. You just do it off the cuff. And that's that's what it ends up being. And then most of the time I go back a year later and be like, I can't believe I used to say the other thing. Thank you know, thank God we didn't put that there, you know. So th- th- those things do happen uh, under the microscope of the studio. It's so hard, though, sometimes when you get it in your head yeah. a certain way on a demo and then somebody's like, let's not do that. And you just keep... <laughs> Yeah, no. That same note or that same word. It's the it's the go-to, you know. There's been times yeah. when I've had to have Roger put a piano note in my left speaker in my ear so I can hear the note because I just have been singing it a certain way for so long. And I pride myself yeah. on I, I think I have a pretty good ear, but man, you just, you like you said, you get it stuck in your head. Um, coming out of chorus one, there's an eight-bar reintro. It's the same as the top of the song. Then we're into verse two. I love this verse too. At first I was like, why does this feel different? There's no guitar here. It's just drums and bass. The guitar from the first verse is not there. And it, it kind of just uh, adds this kind of like more personal feeling. I think with the lyrics, there's no guitar in the verse, uh, but that kick snare and floor Tom beat comes back in for pre-chorus too. So it's a straight beat for the verse, uh, no guitar here. And the, the lyric is let's keep them separate. Melanin just can't succeed. Give me liberty or something. It's better if you just don't read. What is melanin? So melanin is the molecule that gives people brown coloring. Okay, skin tone. Yeah. So I was thinking, originally the line was, it's fair and balanced. It trickles down guaranteed. Give me liberty or give me something. It's better if you just don't read. I was told to change it because it was too offensive I ran it by a couple of people and maybe Dennis, so like Dennis is the, it's funny cause I'm like the far left in our band and he's somewhere right of middle. So it's fair and balanced is like what Fox news was saying at the time. <laughs> and it, it trickles down is like just digging at Republican economic policy. So then I was like, well, cool. I'll just point out racism. I was trying to do it as subtly as possible. It does sound a bit awkward to me when you're reading it. I'm like, Ugh. you know how many times people have said that to me on the show? Cause yeah, it is weird. I've never had anybody read my lyrics to me. It'd be very strange, yeah. very strange. Yeah. So um, just this, this idea, this is what I tell my kids when, 
you know, like when they become aware that people have different skin tones, first of all, I tell them that they're a mutation and that, <laughs> um, you know, every, everybody, unless you are an albino, you have the same amount of melanin in your skin. You just have this mutation that makes you have smaller or larger. You should have larger molecules, but we have smaller as Caucasians and it's a mutation, you know, like it shouldn't be a, a designation of economic status, which we have kind of adapted as a society. We're still digging out of, but like, I just wanted to point that out. I guess when I, when I was told I couldn't make fun of Fox news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a fork in the road. You had to go somewhere and this is where you went with it. I, I, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre-chorus to the guitar lick is panned off left and it definitely sounds like a guitar here. It doesn't sound like horns. Okay. Um, this is, the, I think you're right that it's guitar. Okay. Okay. Well, well, uh, this is the only guitar here as the riffy guitar from pre-chorus one is absent. So still the bass and, and drums are all that's going between verse two and pre-chorus two, except for that guitar uh, lick that's panned off left. But there are horn swells here happening that uh, fill, fill the rest of this out. And I uh, love that the horns come in here. They're not there on pre-chorus one, but the, the horns are here for pre-chorus two. They sound great. Crank your faces up to slaughter. Crank your phasers up to slaughter. Turn your wine back into water. When you play this song, Al-Qaeda wins and Jesus was American. Were you trying to piss people off? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, like, yeah, the, the first, you know, the first uh, verse ends with lock and load, just like Jesus did. And this is just me kind of digging that in, like just people... And their misconceptions of Jesus that he's, he was, you know, like he'd be okay with them hoarding guns or that he's an American, you know? And so the line I don't like is let's crank our phasers up to slaughter. But I had, I had the phrase, let's turn our wine back into water or turn this wine back into water. And I needed that in there. So I was like, what rhymes with water that would fit here? about, you know, like somehow make it be about turning to violence. And um, I don't know. I just, again, I'm taking a dig at the church because I think that often church is about being good to the point where they ignore the fact that the first miracle of Christ was to turn water into wine. Well, and I, when I said a moment ago that uh, were you trying to tick people off, I, I, what I was really getting at was was your fan base. Because again, there there was some comments on YouTube that, you know, that this song uh, uh, definitely is a fan favorite, but it, it was a little polarizing. I'm sure you, I'm oh, sure, yeah. I'm sure you heard, uh, uh, heard an earful. Yeah, you should hear what they say about our new album. They want to they murder me. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to crank up their faces to the slaughter with you. Yes. It's, I mean, I think in that time off, I was just like, you know what I regret was not speaking the truth, you know, like holding back this stuff. Like people need to hear this. I think people who don't believe in Jesus need to know that here's this outlier of a band that has never succeeded in, in either market. But we're here and we're like a voice of reason in that. So we're not, you know, like we're not preaching all the bullshit that comes with the church. We're trying to show people we're angry about that and that what we believe is is love, you know? Yeah, I've, I, I've, I've always said it. There's there's bad people uh, all around the earth of, of different faiths, of different <laughs> races. It, it's uh, You can't put a blanket statement on, on everything. Um, no. Chorus two uh, is a double chorus. Uh, the second half here, the bass does a killer descending run for the whole second half that changes the whole mood while adding tension uh, to this part. It is it is killer.
that part's awesome. Yeah, this is what happens when your old guitar player is writing bass parts. He's like, <laughs> yeah. welcome to my life with Roger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many notes can I cram in eight bars? I'll find oh out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I think he had that in the demo and it was super cool. Like that part's um, great, man. That really yeah. just like, yeah, it's a double chorus, but the whole back half feels different because of that. The lyric is the same both times, uh, just repeated there. Uh, but like I said, that that back half is killer. Then we get into probably my favorite part of the song. You know, a lot I, of ooze. The, the, yeah, a, lot, a lot of ooze coming up. But this this guitar solo, it's got this dissonant. It, it reminds me of, of of something like hot water music uh, would do. This guitar solo, it's kind of it's just it's it's a really cool part. Uh, it's for eight bars. The second eight bars of it, the horns come in pretty loud with the guitar solo still. This is followed by another eight bar bridge that happens. And there's these, uh, I wrote the na 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 kind of backing vocals, but there's these woo oohs that are intertwining with it. Backing, mm -hmm. There's a lot of vocals here. It's kind of haunting in this part. Again, I'm going to ask, was that part of the demo or was this being created in the studio? Because that's a pretty, pretty intricate part. Some of it was. And I think some of that was Jeremy's input. He's good at coming up with harmonies. And, and throughout that whole album, there would just be parts where we'd be like, I don't know what we're going to do for this bridge. And then he would save it. I feel like I can hear Leonore in there. She's singing, right? Yeah. Okay, I can hear her. Almost everybody is singing on that. Which, you know, by the way, I didn't know her name was Leonore till probably three years <laughs> he ago. Thought it was I, Jeff. I, I, I thought it was Jeff. We, we called her Jeff the girl. Yep. And I found out that uh, she was, I believe, Jeff in a high school play at one point. It kind of stuck or uh -huh. something. So, uh, Leonore, if you're listening, hi, love you. Which I actually called her this morning and spoke with oh, her. That's so awesome. It was, it, it, it was good, good to hear her voice. But uh, yeah, this this bridge part, those all those inner workings of the backing vocals are kind of haunting. Um, the kick, drums, and bass are all here, but there's a phaser guitar uh, off to the left, like a phaser. That that guitar tone's really cool. <laughs> I want to say that Scott, like Scott, had figured out all the tones he wanted on this. I don't want to steal from Jeremy if he if he did come up with that tone, but like Scott had handed out just like an almost finished demo of this. There's just a little bit of frosting that got put on it. Leading into uh, chorus number three, which is, again, a double chorus, but the chord progression changes here. Uh-huh. It's, it's this minor tension, and your melody line completely changes. It's like, <laughs> wow. What I love about the way the chorus builds in this song, you get chorus one, that's just kind of the, the, the regular chorus. Chorus two is a double chorus, but on the back half, that bass just changed the, changes the whole feeling, as I mentioned. Now, it's a, it's a double chorus, again, same lyrics, but your melody is probably 50% different here. Yeah. And the chord uh, underneath changes. It's so cool. Again, 
from the demo or something you, you said, hey, we got to change this uh, in the studio? No, it was it was that way on the demo. When I demoed it, I didn't catch that. And so I was trying to sing it the same. So then when I got to the studio, both Scott and Jeremy are like, no, no, you got the wrong notes, dude. So they they made it harder for me to sing live is what they did. <laughs> It's like on the first two lines here, before you get to anesthesia, which you change the melody on that word, the first two lines, it's like, it almost sounds wrong. You're singing the same melody line, but the chords are changed. It's like, whoa, but it's this tension. I really yeah. think it's, it's, it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I've heard you talk a lot on your show about how as we age, it becomes harder and harder to sing these old songs. And I think it's funny because when we were making this album, Scott kind of went apeshit with this idea that I had a like a really high range. So he was just like, could you hit this note? Okay. What about this? <laughs> How one? about this one? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't sung. We haven't played for two years because of COVID. So I'm, somewhat worried i can't hit those notes at all but i did have a six octave range then well i was just to laugh every time roger would go to hit a high note i'm not even kidding and he does it to this day he stands on his tippy toes it's like <laughs> does, does that really help you hit a high note and i i don't know if it's psychosomatic or what you you watch him he goes on his tippy toes he hits the high notes it kills me every time but i even wrote in the notes here uh that uh the vocal melody changes the backing vocals are now doing minor keypads here. So the backing uh, vocals even change, which is just, it just adds to that tension. It's just, it's it's really, really, really neat. Um, and this further builds on that tension that first surfaced on the back of Chorus 2, which I mentioned a moment ago with that descending bass part. Um, and then the song just basically ends with the, the whole band. You're saying it's the Zen and the art of xenophobia, which you hold that last note out, which you haven't done in the rest of the song. And, and the song comes to... Uh, to an end when you finally heard the mix back of this song uh and it, it all come together what was your initial thoughts on it we immediately were like this is one of the singles not that we have singles you know <laughs> like well single meaning it's something you're going to release maybe want to put a video which by the way to the listeners check out the video the costuming is great okay. you guys it, it's 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 so cool and all the things i said at the top you know you the injustice is done to native americans uh criticisms of capitalism everything is in this video you guys threw in the kitchen sink yeah we did the video is funny because we had tons of people just come out of the woodwork when we came back together they're like established video makers or filmmakers. And they're like, Hey, can I do a video for you guys? You were my favorite band when I was in junior high. So we picked a couple and we're like, Hey, this is, this is our pitch to you. We're going to play a show and you're going to record it and make a live video. And that's going to pay for this other video. So that was the one that got paid for. <laughs> and they were like, do you have any ideas? And I, and I was like, what if we made it like a high school play, but it's just, super offensive like it's a history play and just super offensive and everybody hates it and so you know like i remember running around to pick up all the costumes that morning to costume shops in denver and then we just did it at brad our trumpet player's old high school oh wow pretty crazy yeah we were just like backstage like hey that wig would look good with this put it on <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, for the listeners, check out the video for this song. It, it is really cool. And uh, before we wrap up, Reese, uh, anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? What you got going on? Uh, yourself? Are you still doing Roper, your side Oh, band? man. No. There's always talk about doing a second album, but that whole thing came out of me trying to, like the old label that we were on, 5-Minute Walk, was trying to break a band into the general market. So they named it Roper to save advertising money. And then we just weren't into it. You know, it was too soon after five iron quit. So I've got a new wave project I've been working on for like 10 years. It's called heart wrench. Five iron has a new album out. It is called until this shakes apart. And I think it's our best stuff. Um, I have a, a podcast I do with Joe Yerke, who's the singer of one of the other Christian Scott bands, the insiders. And that is called Joe and Reese's pickle and boot shop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, different. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. It's 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 different. I don't know. It's, okay. Yeah. And uh, 
That, yeah, that's about it. Gotcha. Well, uh, hopefully we can do some shows together with you again. I, I, I'd love that. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for sitting in with us today. Appreciate it. I'm so honored. I'm so glad to talk to you, Chris. It's so good. There's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, everybody. If you like Krista Makes a Podcast, I'm going to assume that you like music podcasts. And if you like music podcasts, check out One Hit Thunder. Each week, we dive into a one-hit wonder, and along the way, we gain some knowledge and have some laughs. Lou Bega, Crazy Town, Harvey Danger, The New Radicals, AHA... We're over 100 episodes in now, and to paraphrase the great Matthew Wilder, nothing's going to break our stride. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's feature artist is the Dutch Rudders from Belgium, consisting of Luke on guitar and vocals, Ward on bass and vocals, Drees on the guitar, and Kim on drums and vocals. Check out their Bandcamp page for all their stuff and look for their new full-length album coming in September of 2022. Here's a snippet of their song, Big Worthless Nothing. Chris and Chris. Well, Chris, now I've met two members of Five Iron Frenzy, Reese and Leonore, and I don't know, man, I think these might be the sweetest people ever. I feel like I'm friends with them, even though I've talked to, to them only a handful of times. I think they're awesome. No, they've they've never changed, and I mean that in a great way. They were, they're the same sweet kids I met back in 1996. They were always fun. In the early days, we Les and Jake, you know, we, we like to bust, we still do, like to bust people's balls and give them crap. And there really wasn't anything to give them crap about, you know, like for flying the flag for Christianity. I never felt like they were pushing things down people's throats. They they just were sweet kids. They lived their life. Uh, they, they, they had, uh, you know, uh, b- a belief in faith and, and, and they carried that with them, but they were just, uh, they were another band, man. They, they used to, we used to laugh so much with them. As I said, that Scott Against Racism tour was, was great. I loved, which I'm sure you did too, hearing the impression that less than Jake made on five iron frenzy. Yeah, that was, you know, it's, it's, it, it's really nice to hear. And, and a lot of bands have said that to us. It's probably one of the greatest compliments that, that, uh, you could have as a band is that you treated people kindly. Uh, and, and, and we always tried our best, you know, he, he had mentioned something about, you know, we, they kind of had this thing where they wanted to keep their prices low. And, and for us, like we didn't want to gouge people, but it, it had more so to do with the fact that we, we just wanted to play to more people. We wanted more people to be at the party. You know, if you're going to charge 15 bucks for a ticket, you know, you're only going to have a hundred people there. Then well, what if we charged eight bucks for a ticket? Well, you're going to have 250 people there. And that was, that was the thinking. Plus, you locked yourselves in once you sang that lyric about it. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't go back after that. Well, you know, the, the days of selling $5 t-shirts and, and, and uh, losing money on them for us are, are kind of over. You can't uh, can't sell a $5 t-shirt. We, we still try to keep it reasonable. Yeah, I think you guys keep it reasonable. Uh, I laughed when you said that if someone gave you the lyrics to this song, that you, you would think they might be propaganda. <laughs> because cause you're right. Yeah, I, it's, it's this is pretty, like I said, 
polarizing for a Christian band to write about this stuff. And, and, and Reese even mentioned it, you know, he had, he had said, yeah, it's, uh, they, they had to, to hear stuff, but, but he's calling it out because he cares. He's able to say, yes, I, 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 I still consider myself a Christian. I, I have these beliefs, but, uh, I can also call out people, uh, that hide under the guise of being Christian for doing unchristian things. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to Christians, and this is coming from a, a non-religious person, but I'm sure that Five Iron Frenzy and other people I know who are good people but just happen to be religious would attest to this, that the worst Christians end up being the loudest ones. I kind of had mentioned uh, something along those lines in the episodes. Like, yeah, you know, it's uh, there. There's uh, there's nice people all over the earth, and there's there's pockets full of bad people of of every race and nationality and and uh, faith and and everything else. So you can't just uh, have a blanket uh, statement for for all of that. I, I really like the fact that. They're aware of it, but he can still kind of laugh at it and be like, yeah, I don't care if these people don't like it, you know, if they don't like what I'm saying. This is this is how I feel. And um, yeah, the, the the song, I could not believe I hadn't listened to Five Iron Frenzy track since back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the stuff they were putting out then. And just what a difference. And I think that hiatus from 2003 to 2011 uh, I, th- I think it, it did them good. They kind of, it sounds like they kind of had to break apart. They were, they were trying to make a living as a band. It's very difficult as anybody out there knows it's in a band. It's you bleed money. The minute you hit the gas pedal, it's just, you're, you're hemorrhaging money. It's hard to make money as a band. They tried hard. They had to, they had to break apart. And when they got back together, it seems like they're having more fun now than they ever had in their career. Check out the video. Like I said, <laughs> if that, if that isn't a fun video, uh, then I don't know. I don't know what is, you know, they're, they're having a good time. They're able to still have their uh, their lives and, and, and do their, their uh, uh, you know, day nine to five jobs, but they're able to do the band now and, and it looks like they're appreciating it more. Yeah, I think you said the important word there, man, fun. To have fun and have a passion for what you do. I mean, it's true. It's probably harder than ever to have a music career and have that be the only thing you can do. Now you can... You can do music and have that be part of your career. And and then hopefully if you can find ways to do other music related things to then all equate into a career, then then you've done it, <laughs> you know, but you have to have if it's not fun, if you're not passionate about it, there's no point in it. Sure. That, you know that. And and I think that's where good music and good songs come from. If you. If you love what you're doing. Yeah, and I got to give a nod here to, to producer Jeremy S.H. Griffith. Hadn't heard of him before. Uh, again, he's produced uh, Norma Jean, Anthony Green, and uh, has a, a pretty impressive discography. But uh, the production on this song sounds amazing. I, again, I was impressed. I hadn't uh, heard anything from the band in a while, and you mentioned this track I listened to. I was like, wow, it sounds full. It sounds fat. It's a, it's a great production. You know what else is a great production? What is that, Chris? I have no idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> that would be really cocky, but I was going to say our podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, I, once again, if someone's listening this far to the episode, they probably think that our podcast is a, is a great production. I would hope so. I would hope so. And if you do happen to think that, Chris and I would both really appreciate it if you'd go to wherever you listen to podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, and leave us a five-star review because it helps other people find the show. That's right. And uh, if you'd like to join our VIP program, it's called Supporting Cast. You could go to ChrisDemakes.com. You get all kinds of good stuff. You get episodes of The After Party. You can be a contestant on our music trivia show, Defeat Demakes, and all kinds of other fun stuff. Again, go to ChrisDemakes.com to sign up for our Supporting Cast. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd love to have that follow. I want to thank this week's guest, Reese Roper, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. This is Chris DeMakes, a podcast producer. Chris Fafali is here. I think you like this podcast, so I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to subscribe to a podcast called A Band Called Punchline. Don't know the band Punchline? Well, it's my band, and we've been a band for 25 years. The podcast is a documentary-style look into our story, and it doesn't even matter whether you've heard us before. I promise, the story is that good and that weird. It starts out as a few friends playing music in a garage, but where it goes is wild, I promise. It's like the most relatable behind the music of all time because we never actually had a hit song, yet. 
But the things we experienced along the way makes this podcast like Forrest Gump meets Almost Famous. So yeah, it would mean the world to me if you searched for a band called Punchline wherever you get your podcasts. And let us take you on a crazy ride back through time leading right into today, our 25th year of being a band. Hey, maybe you even have a new favorite band by the time it's all done. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just subscribe to it, goddammit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>